The Tigers will take on Tennessee tomorrow afternoon. And I continue to think Missouri has a better chance than my friends do at FanDuel. Plus, the Michael Porter Jr., Isaiah Mosley comparisons. Let's strike those down. Coming up right now on Locked on Mizzou. You are Locked on Mizzou. Your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and the central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. Thanks for making Locked On Mizzou your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today we got to start off with, of course, Missouri's opponent, the Tennessee Volunteers. Looked pretty impressive today, even without Zakai Ziegler, their star point guard. And you know what? One of my first takes from watching this game, I got to say I'm of two minds on this one. So I'm going to make the case both ways for you here at the top. I started to think maybe Tennessee won't miss Ziegler as much as I originally thought. And the emphasis really is on maybe here because while Ziegler on paper is a good defensive player, he's also five foot nine. Is he not a guy that you can switch into and occasionally take advantage of in terms of mismatches. Maybe your higher level teams can do that. And yet, then I think about it, well, Tennessee beat plenty of high level teams with Ziegler, including Kansas and Gonzaga earlier in the season. And yet still, while the Volunteers played quite well today against, well, a three win in the conference Mississippi State squad, Excuse me, an Ole Miss squad, not Mississippi State. Mississippi State, of course, moved on earlier in the day against Florida. But I just wonder if if the Volunteers hitting 35% of their threes, even more so in the first half, Josiah Jordan-James in particular, was really hot from downtown in the second half. But it seemed like the Volunteers cooled off a bit in the second half. And I'm just wondering if, if that type of shooting is sustainable against Missouri. Well, certainly Missouri will challenge some of those guys to hit some open shots. Also, Santiago Vescovi, Vescovi, whatever the pronunciation is, the Argentinian guard, well, he can definitely slide over and play that lead guard or point guard spot. There's no doubt he's a good enough ball handler to do so. My question is, though, will that Tennessee offense that occasionally is is prone to dry spells. Will that pop up even more as the time goes along here? Because, well, while Viscovi is clearly a capable ball handler, you need that secondary guy too. So Viscovi goes from the secondary guy to the primary guy. That puts a lot more pressure on Josiah Jordan-James to be a playmaker, and I'm just not sure if that is the talented sort of rangy wings that I'm just not sure that that's his his strength whatsoever. So that'll be interesting to see if Missouri tries to force the ball out of Viscovi's hands and into other playmakers. And to my point from yesterday, obviously Tennessee, if they advance to Saturday and Sunday, they're going to have a really potentially big home court advantage against just about everybody except maybe Kentucky, even Vanderbilt. 
Obviously, Vanderbilt doesn't have nearly the enrollment and size and alumni base that Tennessee does, even being at their home base in Nashville. But the home state volunteers, well, going to be a massive crowd for those two days. But Friday afternoon against Missouri, certainly they'll have good support and more support than Missouri will have, I have to imagine. But as I noticed today against Ole Miss, Again, a good Tennessee contingent, but it's not like there were 10,000 Tennessee fans there or something. It's not as though, as though this is going to be a de facto Tennessee home game tomorrow. So obviously a bit of an advantage here for Missouri playing Tennessee earlier as opposed to later in the tournament. I would also say I just think once again the projections are just a little bit off here to me. In the whole tournament, I think they're off. Again, I thought Missouri at 30-1 to to win the tournament was just way too long and a good value. Why not go with it? But it seems like maybe a lot of that comes back to the metrics just loving the volunteers. Right now, if you look at KenPom.com, well, they have the Vols winning 77-69 and 8-point spread over Missouri. I suspect you'll see a 7.5-point spread maybe over at FanDuel tomorrow or after these late games here in the SEC tournament are over. But right now, no official line. But the bottom line is Missouri's going to be a pretty significant underdog tomorrow, and I just don't feel that way. I really don't. I feel like Missouri, if they can play their game, they're going to give Tennessee all they want. And without the benefit of a true home crowd at Thompson Bowling Arena, my goodness, the second half of that game in Knoxville Certainly the whistle went the volunteers' way. Give them credit for playing suffocating defense as well. No question about it. But still, I just think Missouri has a lot better chance than what the computers are giving them tomorrow afternoon. And you know what? Something that's really interesting about this Missouri basketball team to me is, in my opinion, this is a team of give and take and also counter-intuition. This is a very counter intuitive basketball team. And and what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, number one, here's a good example of what I mean. This is a counterintuitive squad. Just based on average height, well, Missouri is one of the shortest teams in the country, maybe the shortest team in the Southeastern Conference. And yet, this is counterintuitive. You'd think a, a team that's very short would get a shot blocked a lot. And yet, If you look at it offensively, well, Missouri, in terms of block percentage offensively, they're one of the best in the country. They're in the top 25, in fact. Well, why is that? How can that possibly be? Well, in my opinion, it's because Missouri gets good shots. It's because they spread their opponents out, and a lot of those shots in the paint are layups on a backdoor cut, that type of thing. You see so much less often than you did in the last Gosh, several seasons under Kim Anderson, Conzo Martin, where guys were constantly getting their shot blocked at the rim, that seems to happen just so much less under the Dennis Gates era, and I think it all comes down to spacing and shooting. And of course, without shooting, without some actual viable shooters out there, well, spacing, obviously, no matter, even if you do play five out, it shrinks and it shrinks and it shrinks. And another thing about this Missouri team that is a bit counterintuitive, is that while his team has a ton of experience, there's almost no continuity, at least not coming into this season. And yet, the longer we go into this season, it's really impressive how much continuity 
this team has. Much more than you would expect from a team of mostly transfers that have been thrown together, a bunch of guys that didn't even know each other until less than a year ago, basically. So again, just goes to show you what an unbelievable job Dennis Gates has done, and it has to make you bullish for the future. And at the end of the season here, obviously Isaiah Mosley's status is still very much up in the air. And that's causing a lot of Missouri fans to compare this situation to the Michael Porter Jr. situation, his one his one year at Missouri. And the idea has been that, well, Porter Jr. came back and kind of messed up Missouri's rhythm at the end of the season, despite all of his obvious talents. Well, while some of that is true, it's actually quite a bit overstated. So let's remind some people just why these two situations are so different. But first, let's talk about FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. And I'll tell you, it is the midpoint. We're just past the midway point in the season, in fact. So it's the perfect time to download FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sportsbook, in, in fact. So new customers, you get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. You can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes made. And you can even combine all those bets in a same-game parlay for an even bigger payout. So don't miss your chance for your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. In bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thanks for making Locked On Mizzou your first listen every day. And you know what? For more of what you love from Locked On, check out the new Locked On newsletter Everything you need, nothing you don't. It's customizable to your local preferences. Just go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash newsletters or scan the QR code if you're watching on YouTube right now. And I do find it interesting that people are comparing the Isaiah Mosley situation right now, the question marks around his status Should Missouri be looking to integrate him back into the team in the postseason? That's going to be kind of a tough putt, right? Well, it was a tough putt with Michael Porter Jr. as well. But you know what? That whole thing, I think people are starting to forget. As the years go by here, it's a few years ago now, people seem to, I don't know, just be able to remember one thing for their narrative. While it's certainly true that Michael Porter Jr. was not great whatsoever in those games, against Georgia in the SEC tournament, against Florida State in the NCAA tournament, Porter Jr. shot quite a bit less than 50% in both of those games. He just didn't quite look like himself. The athleticism just wasn't quite quite back. I'll admire him for wanting to come back and make something happen. It just wasn't quite there. Obviously, Mosley's situation is totally different. Physically, he should be fine. Now, the conditioning may be another question, but could he come in, play a few minutes, and not disrupt things? Actually, yeah, I think so. And again, comparing it back to 
the 17-18 season at the end of the year in March of 2018, let's remember where Missouri was at this moment. It wasn't just a Michael Porter Jr. chemistry problem. It wasn't just a Michael Porter Jr. injury problem. For example, at the end of the season here, here were Missouri's scholarship guards. I'm going to list them all for you right now. Cassius Robertson, Jordan Geist, and that's it. That's the entire list. Missouri had two scholarship guards at the end of the season. And then right after the SEC tournament before March Madness, Jordan Barnett goes out and gets a DUI right before the tournament. So what did this result in? This resulted in Kim Anderson era walk-on Brett Rao playing nine minutes in the backcourt for Missouri against Georgia, and then another 12 minutes against Florida State in the NCAA tournament. Truly, it's too bad, by the way, that this was the lone appearance in St. Louis for the SEC tournament and Missouri because, wow, one and done. That's too bad. Hopefully, we'll get back there eventually, but I don't know. I'm not holding my breath. But regardless, again, that paints a a pretty, pretty horrible picture there at the end of the season. Missouri did well to just make the dance that year considering all the turmoil that they went through. So, in fact, I'm still going to give Conzo Martin a plus that season. If every, if he had done a coaching job like that every year, well, he, he might still be here. I'll give him a lot of credit for that season because, man, the guy went through a lot that first year and then, of course, the second year, losing Jonte Porter as well. Conzo Martin... I can't say I would do anything different, really, in those first couple years in terms of who he added to the roster. Just couldn't have worked out much worse than it did. And in an interesting note from Dave Matters, recent chat of the Post-Dispatch, well, the Mizzou Arena student section could be getting a facelift next season. Could be looking more like maybe some bigger-time programs who have student sections even more prominently than Mizzou does. Could this be happening? Let's talk about the ramifications after these quick words. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So again, according according to Dave Matter, Desiree Reed Francois, Missouri's athletic director, of course, is considering putting the student section, which has been in just one end of Mizzou Arena for its entire existence, considering moving the student section around the lower bowl of the arena. And here's the interesting thing about that, of course. In an ideal world, when in a season where Missouri is is selling out multiple games, I believe seven or eight games this season, well, you wouldn't have prominent seats on the camera side in a lot of these games being empty, but that seems to be what happens year after year after year. 
And it seems like Desiree Reed Francois doesn't like the look of that any more than, than us Missouri fans do. But the question is, of course, how do you take the students, move them into those sections, and then actually displace people who are pretty high donors and big-time fans and possibly decades-long, multiple-decades-long season tickets holders in a lot of cases? That's a good question. And really the question may be how much political capital, if you will, does Desiree Reed Francois have to have to burn? Because right now she seems to be polling pretty darn well. I, I'm definitely giving her two thumbs up, especially for hiring Dennis Gates. And again, we're talking about the basketball program here. So again, she's built herself a lot of political capital right now. Everybody seems to like her too. She's done a good job speaking of politics of being a friendly, presentable face or that's that is sort of the face of the athletic program right now. She's shaking hands, smiling, being nice to everybody. Seems like everybody likes her. But you know what? This might be the first time if she's going to really make this move where she's going to have to upset a lot of people. But here's the thing. Is this the issue to burn your political capital on? Maybe it is. And again, you're going to make some fairly big wheels angry, and those wheels will become squeaky. And they'll probably need some grease on the back end in form of some compensation of some sort. I don't really know what that looks like. Is that money? Is that, you know, this, that, or the other? I really don't know. Is that improved parking for them? I have no idea. I'm not sure. But in the long run, if Desiree Reed Francois really makes this move, it might be well worth it in the long run. She's, as I said, as I have said many times, is the type of person who has an eye for detail. And not only does she have an eye for it and an attention to detail, she obviously is a sort of proactive person that likes to make changes as quickly as she possibly can to make things better for the fans. And let's face it, the student section this season did a great job of showing up in mass, especially in the non-conference season. A better job than the townies and the sort of alumni section did. But does that mean you can move them all down and, and avoid angering your fan base without, you know, again, your big wheels without losing money? That's a really tough balance to make. But man, it, it seems like if there are big time programs like Duke and Michigan State, for instance, I know off the top of my head, who have student sections that basically surround that lower bowl. And they're obviously quite successful. Well, maybe Missouri can do it too. And in the long run, those optics and the excitement that it creates is actually worth it. You get better recruits, more recruits, all that good stuff. You create a better atmosphere. I think it's really interesting that we're even talking about it because, well, again, since Mizzou Arena opened around 2004, 2005, nobody's even considered making that kind of a radical move. Just shows, once again, that old DRF, she's going to look at everything she possibly can to improve this program, and I approve. So with all that being said, once again, check out the Locked On newsletter, lockedonpodcast.com slash newsletters, and I will be back with you tomorrow after the Missouri-Tennessee game with a recap. You can also check me out on social media anywhere at Locked On Mizzou for a quick now recap video as well. So again, 
Until the Missouri-Tennessee's game is over, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.